We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Somebody comes up to us and says, Prince, I'd like to meet you. I was like, really? Prince wants to meet me. He was so nice, and he was actually really funny. He was, like, making jokes and stuff with his real deep voice. And he was like, yeah, I want to play on one of y'all songs tonight. He was like, give me all your love. I like that song a lot. I'm going to come out there and play with y'all tonight. That's cool. I'm like, definitely cool. (laughs) All right, then. He's like, all right. I'll see y'all when the time comes. So we go through the set. We get to give me all your love. We get, like, halfway through the song. I'm getting nervous because I'm like, Prince is not up here and I was like, if he's going to do a solo, this is the only time to do it. And then I see out of nowhere, he just leaps on the stage out of nowhere. And he just starts ripping this sick solo. And then Prince kisses me on the cheek and literally hops into the darkness. Like literally, <laughs> he pranced over all the amplifiers and everything into just some unseen point, And he was gone. It was the last time I ever saw him. Brittany Howard is one of the most soulful and bluesy singers working today. She goes deep. She's the leader of the Alabama Shakes, but right now she's talking about a solo album she made called Jamie, which is soulful and powerful and memoiristic. And it's named for her older sister who taught her about music and about freedom, a sister who died long ago when she was 13 and Brittany was nine. There's a lot of honesty in this record, a lot of beauty, a lot of deep feelings, and of course, a lot of blues. So we started there. It's Brittany Howard on Torre Show. When I think about you and your music, the blues really comes up for me. Help us understand, what is the blues and why do you love it so much? I don't know. To me, the blues is kind of the backbone of everything we're listening to today. Yes. It's inspired rock and roll. It's inspired James Brown. James Brown has inspired hip-hop. You know, hip-hop's here. It's the king of the industry where we are today. So uh, to me, it's just a backbone of American music is the blues. Yeah, it is the roots of the tree. Exactly. And it's a great place to learn. And growing up in the South, the blues is like a really big part of our culture. And I think when I was growing up, it was always played someplace. You know, it was never far. So growing up with that kind of, you know, basic foundation really um, taught me just a lot about rhythm and keeping on time, but not too on time because you got to feel it, you know. Yeah, being behind the beat is is where you get into the bluesiness of it. 
Well, it's, it's all about what you want to express. Like usually with blues, it's it can be something like you, you're pushing because you want people to feel excitement. So you're kind of pushing, staying right, right, right on top of the beat or just like slightly even quicker than the rest of the music. Or if you're trying to kind of display some kind of sadness, you put that little lull on it, that drunken kind of playing. And I mean, that that still is uh, prevalent in like how Questlove plays drums or uh, Chris Dave plays drums. That's still happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, but there's a quality in your voice that evokes the blues for me. And the blues does not have to be sad. Um, and even when you're singing a happy song, I'm still taken to this amazing bluesy place. Hmm. Well, I think maybe, again, it just comes from the basic education of music. Like, I'm not um, formally trained in any way. But music has been my educator, and I've listened to every type of music. Like, I love everything. I'm learning all the time from different kinds of music. So I think just growing up where I grew up and growing up the way I grew up, I think I just have a natural relationship to whatever that is, especially growing up in the South and that being, like I said earlier, just so everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um you have arrived wearing prince earrings. Mm-hmm. They're like little <laughs> prince heads in yeah. each of your ears. The 90s I prince, yeah. love these earrings. And I love, as I listened to the album, I heard the influence of early prince. Mm-hmm. Was that a conscious influence for you? No, it's not conscious. Um, I think... It's hard to escape Prince and what he has done for music. But my favorite thing about Prince, you know, besides his songwriting and his musicianship, was just um, how iconic he is. There's no one like him. He, To me, he was probably the greatest performer that's ever walked the face of the earth. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jackson was bad. James Brown was real, real, real bad. Yeah. But Prince commanded the stage could do all the James Brown dances and shredded guitar and organ and was just doing all this work with his image and being completely unique to himself. And I think I'm mostly inspired by him just wanting to do his thing and not backing away from it. Yeah. 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 Um, We have known you for so long as part of uh, the Alabama Shakes Mm -hmm. and now you're alone, solo artist. Is it different being up there by yourself? Yeah, it's pretty. It's different just because, like, I'm not playing guitar as much as I was in the shakes, just because the guitar parts are really complicated. So, in order for me to sing well, I don't, I don't want to sacrifice my singing to play these guitar parts, or vice versa. So, you know, I have two more guitar players to help me perform the parts on stage, and so now I've just got like all like trying to figure out what to do with my hands up there, <laughs> just dancing and just trying to figure it out, you know. It's a it's definitely a new experience um having the opportunity to command the stage like I've never been able to before just cuz I'm locked in front of the monitors, you know. Well, yeah, well I guess if you don't have anything in your hands then you got to be more of a traditional front man or front woman, right? And like Yeah, I guess so, but it also kind of happens naturally cuz you just get to move with the music. So, I guess it's just like my own advice to myself, just loosen up and just let the music do its thing and and get involved in that. Because my worst fear is to become kind of like um, 
like uh, a mime every night. You know what I mean? Like doing the same kind of moves every night. Yeah. Just, I don't want to get into that kind of thing where I'm uh, just performing. I, I want it to be definitely an experience for myself too. I mean, that's definitely a big thing of like when you can see a performer multiple times and it's fresh and new every time. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, oh, he tells that same joke at 22 minutes every in between the fifth and the sixth song every night. Like, okay. Right. I definitely don't want to fall into that because then I'm going to get bored. I feel like it's a a form of self-care to keep it fresh for your own self. Yeah. I mean, you're not an actor who can like make it sound new every time you're a different sort of performer and you need to keep yourself engaged as well that's it it's so true it's so true because i feel like it needs to be um needs to be real like if i'm gonna do this let me do it for real and not phone it in you know i don't want to ever do that so let's talk about the genesis of this album because i think in reading about your history, your recent history, it begins with you feeling sort of stifled and blocked within the shakes, which is such a great band. So many people loved, but at some point you did not love you or what was going on there or what, what was the initial sense? Yeah. You know, I think for me, it definitely had nothing to do with like the guys. I mean, yeah. they're my brothers. They're solid. I think for me, it was just like uh, I wasn't really taking care of myself as much as I should have been because where I come from, which, you know, I come from like a trailer park in North Alabama. And my thought process is like, okay, I got this opportunity. I don't ever want to go back to where I came from. So I'm going to work hard. And harder than hard, I'm going to work the hardest to get as far as I can go so I never have to turn back and be in the poorhouse again. So I think I had this, like, survivor kind of mentality that was like, I'll do anything to make it. And I'll work as hard as I need to. And and I think, man, I just worked too hard for too long. And it was starting to become kind of like, well, I guess I've made it. But um, what about the rest of my life? You know, I just turned 30. I was like, what kind of career do I want? Because it's up to me. Like right now, you know, if I'm lucky, I got like, what, 40, 50 years left. You know, what what do I want my trajectory to be like? Do I want to keep playing these songs till I'm 50 and be in the album Shakes till I'm 50? And that'd be like my legacy, you know, which would be great, would be fine. Or do I want to kind of set off on this whole other chapter? And I was like, it sounds a whole lot more exciting for me to do something real scary and just, and let's like, let's go, let's make my own music, my own sound, my own ideas, my own vision. I would rather try to do that. That is so classic for a great performer in that you went toward what was scary. Mm-hmm. And so many people retreat, hide, run from the thing that seems that obviously survivor don't do the thing that's scary right but as a true creative person you're like let's try the let's go through the scary door and see what happens i'm what, glad i did what 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 in you led to you saying yes let's do the scary thing i don't know for me it was like this like kind of childlike dream that was just like one day i'm going to be a composer and everybody's going to know that a woman can write her own songs and produce her own records and be just as good as any dude that's on the radio. And, you know, like this just like kind of dream that I had when I was really young that I could do it on my own. And not out of pride, just out of pure expression. I just wanted to express myself in that way where no one could be like, yeah, well, that bass part's not that good. Like, we should do it like this or, 
you know, I don't like that arrangement. Let's do it this way. Or this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have a course. It doesn't have a verse. I just wanted to steer my own ship. So when you go to your brothers mm-hmm. who are still your family. Yeah, for sure. And say to them, so I want to do something different that doesn't necessarily include you or isn't the shakes. How does that conversation go? How do they respond? How do you tell them that? Well, it didn't start off with me wanting to make the record. It started off with me more like we had been rehearsing for like a year and we we really couldn't find, we couldn't click um, like creatively. We weren't really coming up with anything and we kept, you know, every week kept going over it again and trying to write new material and it just wasn't happening and I was just like, you know, guys, like something's got to give here. Like this is not really supposed to feel this way. And after about a year of it, we just sat down and and I was just like, I want to talk to you about something, you know. And we sat down. We probably talked to each other like three or four hours just talking about what it meant going forward for everybody. And it was definitely bittersweet because Alabama Shakes changed our life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we all loved each other. And we... Our lives changed together, which is another huge thing. So it was kind of like breaking up with somebody in a way. It was really bittersweet, but then also there's light on the other side of every situation. So I think at the end of it, we all just wanted each other to be happy, and they have their beautiful families, and they got to spend a lot lot more time with their families and also be creative in their own ways. And and my kind of thing was I just need time to be me, figure out who I am now. Cause it's been like eight years since I last checked who I was. Mm. So then I just went on like road trips and traveled for fun, not for work. And, um, just lived life. Like got to know myself again. And through that process, that's when I was like, you know what? I think I want to do something I've never done before, which is actually make my own record. So, which is one step back, because when you're traveling and you start to figure out who I am, mm-hmm. who Brittany is, who did you find? Um, I found like a lot of empowerment and just because eight years kind of went by really quickly, yeah. you know, since I started touring with the Shakes. It was like amazing things happened, things I never thought ever imagined would happen like to me. You know, I'm just like a little girl from a trailer park. You know what I mean? Like, what, like what's something that, oh, like, oh, my meet, God, I can't believe it. Meeting the first black president of the United States of America, shaking his hand, wow. meeting his beautiful wife, Michelle Obama, Barack wow. Obama, met them, being in the White House, singing there, having my dad sit in the audience. He's over there crying because he's in the White House, you know, with the first black president. Yeah. There I am. And um, just meeting all kinds of people I've always looked up to, like, um, you know, like, Tyler, the creator, is one of those people that I'm just like, yes. I really respect his like hustle. Yes. You know, he works really hard. Yes. Hanging, you know, just hanging out with somebody like that and getting to know them. Donald Glover, getting to hang out with him and yes. winning Grammys is one of those things. Sing with Paul McCartney, getting to play with Prince, actually Ooh. play with Prince at Paisley Park. There's just lots of moments where I just had to pinch myself. But I was so busy working, right? And then at the end of those eight years, working so, so hard to try to get to some sort of imaginary summit of this experience, uh-huh. um, I just found myself like, okay, I need to like process what just happened in my life. Okay, I got money, uh, I got love, yeah, yeah. and I got this wonderful career, and uh, I took off on the road, and I was just like, what do I want, though? 
Like, why do I keep trying to find the summit of this journey? There's, like, really not a summit. So then once I kind of realized that, I was like, okay, so what do I do that excites me now? And I think I learned a lot about myself just by traveling across the country and having nothing to look at but grass and cows (laughs) and just being inward and just revisiting a lot of stuff, like, that brought me here, especially throughout my childhood and just working on that kind of stuff, like working on how traumatic it was for a little girl to go through what our family went through and then just working that out and just give myself a lot of love. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. You were referring to like racist things that happen in rural Alabama? Oh, just, um, you know, my sister passing away really did a number on our family for sure. That, that, that which yeah, I mean that sort of begins the end of your family, right? Because your parents set split up after that. Yeah, well, it was a new, it was a, it was a, it was a family with a new look. You know, it was like a, a it was my family, but it looked different. Yeah, because now my dad's over here, me and my mom's living in an apartment building, and that's when I started learning how to play guitar and instruments and stuff. And it's really funny to look back across your life and realize like how you got to some place, especially when you love what you do now and you and you just like think about all the drive it took to get there but then i think about also how i really didn't have any options or cho- or, or a choice of course i was driven to do this cuz it's the only thing i was good at and i had all the time in the world to hone it uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. we live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to doordash if you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today 
and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Um, your sister's name was... Jamie. Jamie. Mm-hmm. How much older was she? Four years. Four years, and yes. she passed when she was 13? Yes, that's right. So you were nine. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about her? What was she like? Yeah, she was goofy. Uh, she had like a real high-pitched voice, <laughs> which is funny because I have a very low voice when I speak. And she was very, very intelligent. Very intelligent. Very artistic. She liked to write uh, poetry, songs. She loved music. She loved making art. She loved drawing, painting. She loved piano. She loved music. She showed me all those things, how to do all those things. She was your first music teacher. Yeah, she was my first teacher in life, really. I mean, when we, you know, like I said before, where we grew up, we didn't have a lot of money. So we didn't have all the, like, video games and stuff at first. So my sister would be like, oh, I'll show you how to have fun. And we're just like, come come over here. Let's go back to this creek. And I'll show you, like, we can play in the creek and... We can play with our dogs and we ride our bikes and we listen to music, we make up songs. You know, she's the one who really encouraged me to use my imagination to make make the world like a better place, you know? What did she teach you about music that endures? I think, you know, one of the things I remember Jamie telling me was like, if if it doesn't feel right, then you're not playing it right. Or something like that, mm. As, which makes total sense. I mean, obviously, but... Um, I think I still do that in my songwriting today, which is just like, it has to make me feel something or uh, I have not done something properly. That's so black music if mm. it doesn't feel right. Oh, yeah, it's important for sure. For sure. But it's also like, yeah, it's black music. Also, that's like that's like human connection right there. At the very base level, there's one thing we can all connect on and that's just music. You know, without the words... You still have this landscape of music, and it can bring things out of people that we can all realize. We could be sitting in here listening to the, the saddest classical piece, and we all go back to something in our heads that like made us sad, even though we don't speak none of the same language. Yeah. We're definitely connecting. Did you change after Jamie passed? Um, yeah, I definitely think I got a lot more quiet and kind of, you know, my parents are going through a lot. So my thing was like, okay, I'm going to just stay out of the way. I'll be in my room. And I would just make an art, listen to music in my room. And then I picked up my sister's guitar that was like hidden away in this closet. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to play this guitar. And that's that's where it all began for me. So when did she become wrapped up in this album? I don't suspect you didn't start out saying let's name it Jamie and like no I didn't no it's crazy like um this album kind of started as my way of uh 
recounting my life. It, it's not so much a memoir or anything. It wasn't it wasn't on purpose. It was just what was coming to me, how things felt. What do I know the best mm-hmm. but my own life? So I started just writing things I knew about. And um, it brought me to a lot of realizations, like how much Jamie is still present in my life. Probably more now than if she were here. You know, you never know. Like sometimes you don't call your siblings, you know. And uh, I feel like she's in my life daily, daily. So when I was writing this record, I had so much. um, I was so worried that I wouldn't be able to do it because I was like, where's inspiration? I'm not inspired. I don't know how I'm going to write these songs. I don't know how I'm going to do this record. It's like freaking out. And then everything shows up right on time. Like, as it does, you know what I mean? And I just remember having so much appreciation for some reason, just being like, man, my sister's with me this whole time. And there was really nothing else to call it. Like, I felt like there was nothing that would be as appropriate as naming it uh, after my first musical teacher, after someone who taught me how to use my imagination. So the name comes at the end of the process? At the end of the process, yeah. Um, I, I am moved when you talk about race on this album and um, it's so sort of poignant and and I feel there are deeper stories that you're referencing and I can only imagine what it is like growing up mixed race in rural Alabama. (laughs) Um, You know I mean? What what was that like? Well, when I was younger, my parents did a really good job making sure that I didn't know what racism was. They didn't want me to know what it was. So they never told me about what it was like for them being together. And they never told me what their parents thought of them being together until I was a lot older. When I was young, I didn't think that was a thing. I would, you know, I heard about Martin Luther, you know, of course I knew about Martin Luther King. I knew about black history growing up, oddly enough, because my mother taught me. But um mm-hmm. I was like, that was then, and this is now. Now it's all good, because I'm here. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom's white, my dad's black, so it must be all good. So I went anywhere I wanted to. I fished in the, I walked in the woods. I walked down the street. I'd go in any store, any gas station I wanted to. I'd fish wherever I wanted to. I was never worried about being uh, at the end of any kind of racist remarks or attacks. And then when I got older, my... I remember asking my mom, like, you know, what was it like for you and dad dating? And she was just like, oh, it was absolutely terrible. And then she told me everything. She was just like, yeah, when I used to push you girls in the stroller at the grocery store, I used to have folks just come up to me and be like, what did you do? What were you thinking? Just come up to my mom and just say that to her. Every time she'd be sitting in church, people would look at her ugly. People just thought they could say anything they wanted to to her. And... She had to, that's what she had to put up with. And my dad had to put up with such things as literal uh, abuse and attacks from people. Now, to this day, we sure, we're sure we not sure who it was, but just the whole goat head thing, you know. What's that? So my mom told me when we were just babe, when I was just a little baby, um, my dad comes home from work, visits her at the apartment complex that she lived in. And next door was a co-op. That's where, like, you raise livestock and stuff like that, buy feed for livestock. So there's, like, a bunch of goats over there. So my dad goes up to the apartment, stays the night, wakes up the next day. Someone had cut off a goat's head, put it in the back of his car, 
bashed his windshield in, slashed his tires, wrote all kinds of stuff on his car. Basically, like, don't come around here anymore. And crazy thing is, right, so I haven't told anybody this yet, but crazy thing is, my cousin, Avery, she's also mixed race, and she's about the same age as me. Um, Somebody did the same thing to her mom in our town. Mm. It's my mom's cousin. Same reasons. So now me and Avery trying to figure out actually who did it. Because now it's like it has to be somebody who knew us, was maybe in our family, or went to church with us or something like that. So, yeah, now we're on the case trying to figure out who did it. (laughs) Trying to crack open this cold case. So, So you're there, you're talking about the impact of racist acts on others in mm-hmm. your family mm-hmm. but you are representing yourself as not being conscious because you're young and you're shielded yeah when i was younger yeah but then when i was getting older i started filling in the blanks like my mom be like why 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 did you think you couldn't go to that birthday party and stuff and i was just like oh i thought y'all just didn't want me to go they didn't the parents of the kid didn't want me to go wow. stuff like that started filling in like they because they didn't like my parents there was stuff that I wouldn't get to do or especially when I was older and started going to parties and stuff like when I was around 15 16 hearing these these white boys saying the n-word and stuff in my presence and me just looking at like and not in like a cool hip-hop way but in a straight no, hateful like, that is how, how they're referring to, to one of my to friends. You. Not to me, one of my friends. But they're also talking about you. Yeah. You're no different. Of course. And I'm just standing there looking at these dudes like, I'm at your party. Like, What do you do in that moment? I didn't know what to do, honestly. You know, I actually, every time that occurs, part of me like gets really angry. And I'm like, oh, I'm about to say something. I'm about to do something about it. It's not the wisest. Not the wisest thing to do. So there's nothing I really could do. It's the same things like when somebody put their goat head in my dad's car. What's my dad supposed to do? Call the police? What's police going to do? Fingerprint the goat? <laughs> like It's just one of those things. And it hurts. It hurts every time. It hurt, it hurt every time I would hear one of them dudes from my own school say something like that. Because I grew up, it's just a matter of fact. Everybody's the same, really, because my grandma's white, my other grandma's black. Yeah, culturally, there's like a lot of differences, but there's still people. So that was pretty shocking and eye-opening. Did you have, did you have people in your family reject you and your sister? Uh, maybe my sister, because she was like the first of the little mixed babies in North Alabama. Um, by the time I came around, they were like, oh, they're just babies, you know what I mean? Mm. So I, I don't think, uh, I think when my mom first got reject, uh, when my mom first got pregnant with my sister, she, there's definitely a lot of rejection for sure, which is her story to tell. Um, and by the time I came along, you know, I was pretty sweet, happy little baby. So they just like, oh, it's just a baby, you know, nothing to be afraid of. At what point did you personally start to feel a sense of danger? For yourself and your body in that environment, I I I didn't. There, okay. it, it's interesting. It's like we, me and those kids that went to school with me, um, we all grew up together, and it's really it's really complicated. Maybe when they're with, maybe some of them, not all of them, some of them when they're with their white buddies. We'll say the N-word and all this stuff just because that's how they talked. But then when they would be with me, you'd never hear something like that come out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. It's really 
interesting. And then um, I don't I don't know. I I was just really unaware of all that stuff until I was thrown into the lines then of hanging out like at this podunk party. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. you you really get a, a eyeful. I think it wasn't until I'm much older and I actually moved out of Athens, Alabama, that I started experiencing things where I felt unsafe. Mm. Actually, yeah, I remember one time I was going fishing where I always go fishing, right? And um, that's a big part of my family is we we always fish together. So for us, that's like uh, a really like grounding, like you feel like you're at home when you go fishing. I remember going out there like I always did. And this crazy old white man comes out and starts yelling at me. He's like, oh, oh, you better get back in that car and turn around. And I had my friend who's Puerto Rican. She was with me. And, she, you know, she's ready to bow up. And she's about four foot seven. She was ready to bow up on this dude. And I was like, yo, calm down. And he's like, you better get out of here and all that stuff. And I was just like waiting for him to get away from my car. And then I went in and paid for my permit. And I stayed there and I went fishing all day till the sun went down. Mm-hmm. I was like, do something to me. Like, let's go. Because mm-hmm. for me. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low-sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it, and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member... I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving would have felt worse than if he had actually done something to me. So I was like, yo, I'm about to, right. sit. I'm about to sit on this rock all day. And that's what I did. Show me. Yeah. Show me what you're going to do. He wasn't going to do nothing. Uh, you know, scare but, tactics. Yeah, but giving in. It would have felt terrible. And Because you're participating in it then. Mm-hmm. It was a non-option. And I fished there so many times. I was just like, man, if anything goes down, there's all these people on the water and stuff. Like, I just really don't think it's going to be that bad. Take me, uh, okay, so take me to when you're writing these songs for Jamie. I mean, like, how do you, Brittany, write a song? Uh, for me, it's always different. Um, I think one thing I learned that's most important most important thing I've probably learned at all about being a creative person was through this process of writing this record. And that was to just quit sitting down trying to write a song. Don't sit down to write a song. 
because then you already have all these expectations of what's about to happen and you just close off all the creativity that could come in because I'm already so focused already about like, okay, what does it need to sound like? Maybe it needs to sound like this. Maybe, you know, I'm not really giving myself a lot of uh, openness to receive. So I feel like when I am writing a song, it's all about being open to receive music. So that's usually the first thing that happens. I'll kind of, I'll start hearing it. And then usually if I get, if I hear more than one part and then it gets to two parts, like if, like for example, a song like Georgia, first thing it started was, I just want Georgia to notice me. And I was like, oh yeah, that reminds me of like being a kid or something. Mm-hmm. And then the bass line came. And once I had the bass line, I was like, okay, I see. This is about to be a song. So immediately wherever I am, I have to like evacuate to my studio and then it just kind of starts falling into place. So these notions are coming to you out of nowhere. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. do you do you sit down to let's write a song or it's just things come to you and like, oh, that's a valuable piece. That's a good piece. Okay, now let's go. Yeah, it's pretty much like I have to go as fast as I can. Mm. It's like kind of like train of thought, right? So I have to run to my studio, hit that record button, and just went ahead and put the bass line down. And then once the bass line was down, I already had the keys coming in. So then I had to lay down the keys. Do, 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 do. And then uh, it just builds like that. It comes very suddenly. And, and the quicker I can work, uh, the more I can receive of the song to put down. Do you do one, do one song just beginning to end, like all in one grow? Usually, yeah. Usually I have to. Because otherwise, it's like I lost the like the juice. I lost the thing I was trying to get. So, uh, got to work quick. Yeah. So you play the bass. You play the keys. You mm-hmm. play. You can. So you could. You could do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do. I could do enough to get a song. Well, yeah. Tell me all the instruments you can play. Uh. Guitar. Yeah. Bass. I, I, I play keys. Gu- drums. Yeah. Guitar. Bass. Keys. Drums. Uh. Horns. I can't play horns, but I could probably fake it till I make it. <laughs> That's the thing about instruments is like um, if you spend enough time with one, you can get something out of it. I wouldn't say I'm particularly very good at any instrument that I play, but I know how to make a song with it. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll get back to the show in one second, but Halloween is coming. That means it's time to get scared. Lots of people dressing up as zombies and vampires and Donald Trump and Republicans. And that's probably the scariest thing to me. And it makes me think about their attempt to try to kill health insurance, which is going to kill a lot of people. Which means you really need to think about life insurance. You need to make sure that you have somebody taking care of you when you're sleeping. Because God forbid something happens to you because of one of those zombies or Trump. You need to make sure that you have life insurance to take care of your family. God forbid you can't take care of your family. If the idea of looking for life insurance seems scary or daunting or strange... It can be easy. Everything can be made easy nowadays. For insurance made easy, go to policygenius.com. It's the easy way to shop for life insurance online. In just minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers and find your best price. And once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork, which is the worst part of it. And you get the best part. 
which is the coverage that allows you to sleep at night knowing, God forbid, anything happens, your family will be taken care of. So this October, take the scary out of buying life insurance and use Policy Genius. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, apply in minutes, do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Let's talk about Stay High, because it's one of my favorite songs, and it's such a beautiful love song. And so where did that come from? How did that come together? Uh, I think for me, that song just kind of came from being present with uh, my partner, just being there, not always thinking so much, because like my mind is so active, it's hard to tune into what's happening like right now. Mm. And so that's really where the song came from, just being in one place and being happy there. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be somebody you love. It could just be if you love what you do or something like that. It's a beautiful love song, and it's not about, <clears throat> there's not like an aspiration in it. It's like, this is the state yeah. that I want to be in. That's it, yeah. Exactly. And I think the way that I wrote the song is supposed to sonically like reflect that feeling. Just like, it's nice to be right here listening to these like woody drums and this simple little guitar part and these little dreamy key parts. And it's just like a nice place to sit in. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm a stoner. Do you mean like, do you mean that to it or just like the high of love? Just the high of being happy and joyful and present where you are. I don't smoke. We really, <laughs> I, I am surprised. I to used that. to, I used to, like when I was younger, like a teenager and stuff. But no, I, I can't handle it, man. I'm high all the time. <laughs> high on love, high on life, high on life. Just I'm wired up that way. That's what I figured out. I, I, I assumed it was kind of like you know, like the the blissfulness of being high, and I want to stay in that space with you. And I was kind of like, why didn't she call it? I want to get high with you. But you're like, that's not where I was going at all. No, not really. No. But uh, I might have smoked something that day, though. <laughs> I was just trying it out. You know, it's so funny because, like, I was in California, right? So they can just order it online. Yeah. Which is crazy because remember, my, I'm from Alabama. You just have to hide it. Like, it was just the operation to get weed. Yep. And so I ordered it on the phone. Here it is. All right. It's got all the different names and stuff. So I, like, took a little bit, smoked a little bit. And then I realized... I was suddenly way too high. <laughs> and I was like just trying to focus on just like walking around. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it doesn't work for me like it works on all y'all. Uh-huh. Yeah, it used to be acquiring it was part of how cool you were because I know where to go. I know the mm-hmm. language to use. I can speak to the guy and he'll trust me. And sell And now it's just like call a number and the guy comes over. Yeah, I don't know. The magic's gone. The magic is gone. <laughs> um Tell me about playing with Prince. I want to hear more about making this album, but... Uh. Yeah, Prince. Okay. Well... At Paisley. Yeah, I remember getting this email that was like, Prince has invited you to play at Paisley Park. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? I was like, will he be there? <laughs> and they were like, sometimes Prince is there. Yes. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, let's do it. So we go to his compound, Paisley Park, pull up. They say, all right. Y'all can't eat no meat on the premises. Does your right. bus have any meat on it? And right. we're like, are you playing? And they're like, no, you can't eat no meat here. All right. And then also, they're like, also, no smoking and no cussing and no <laughs> drinking. I was like, do they know we're a band? 
Clearly. <laughs> we're like, okay, cool, you know. We go in this big warehouse with like motorcycle hanging from there and like the stage and this giant 40-foot doors and with the Prince symbol on it, you know. Yeah. Um, and we like sound check and stuff like that. And then uh somebody comes up to us and is like, Prince would like to meet you. I was like, really? Prince wants to meet me. Yeah. And oh then my God. and then like I could see everybody on stage was like, and us too. <laughs> so like all 18 of us go to go through his like it's hard to explain his home studio. I'm not sure. It's like a cylinder building. And it's like, it was like really hot in there. And it had like purple carpet and like this purple piano. And then there are clouds painted everywhere. And then we walked through that door. And then all of a sudden there's like, oh, air conditioning. I was like, sweet. <laughs> Look to the left. It's like this long wooden hallway that had all these portraits of Prince throughout the years. All his different albums and hits. Mm-hmm. Um, then we go into the studio and there was Prince. Walked in. He was wearing like this beige linen, like uh, futuristic hoodie thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was like all in beige and in little beige shoes. And he was like, "Hey," and I was like, "Oh, what's up, Prince? You know, like what's up?" Is that what you said? Yeah, I was like, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, and we all sit. I mean, it was like it was like this big. And there's like 18 of us in there, and everybody's just kind of like with bated breath, like not knowing what to say to Prince. Right. So then I start nervous talking. And I was just like, yeah, Prince, you know, what's good? Like, how you doing today? Thanks so much for having us. Yada, yada, blah, 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 blah. Keep talking. And then he was so nice. And he was actually really funny. He was, like, making jokes and stuff with his real deep voice. And I could tell he's, like, really, like, I don't know, shy would be the right word, but, like, definitely observant. Mm -hmm. And he would, like, crack a few jokes. And he was like, yeah, I want to play on one of y'all's songs tonight. I was like, word? What song would that be? He's like, give me all your love. I like that song a lot. I'm going to learn what key it's in, and I'm going to come out there and play with y'all tonight. That's cool. I'm like, definitely cool. <laughs> all right, then. He's like, all right. I'll see y'all when the time comes. I'm like, all right. So we leave, and we're all just like, oh, my God. Like, Amazing. we do the sound check, everything. So next thing we know, we're on stage. We're doing a show. They let all the people in. I don't know, 500 people. I'm not sure how many people are in there. And everybody's kind of like looking around like, are we going to see Prince? Is he really going to come up here and and do what he said he's going to do? So we go through the set. We get to Give Me All Your Love. We get like halfway through the song. I'm getting nervous because I'm like, Prince is not up here. And we start hitting this bridge section. And I was like, if he's going to do a solo, this is the only time to do it. And then I see out of nowhere, he just leaps on the stage out of nowhere. And he picks up his guitar He's wearing like a green suit and those little sunglasses with the third eye on it. And he had this little afro. And he just starts ripping this sick solo. And we're just like looping the bridge section. I got this big smile on my face because I'm like, this is amazing. Hmm. And then I do like a little double solo with him. And we just like, you know, soloing together. It was incredible. Then we take it to the end. Explosive. The audience is just beside themselves, screaming, excited. And then Prince kisses me on the cheek and literally hops into uh, the darkness and I never saw him again. Like literally, <laughs> he I don't know how he did it. He pranced oh he like over all the amplifiers and everything into just some unseen point and he was gone. It was the last time I ever saw him. Uh, his his entrances and his exits were magical. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he did I because I, I was at Paisley, interviewed him, played yeah. basketball with him. Nice. We were walking down the hall. Uh-huh. And then 
next thing I knew, he was not there anymore. And oh. I mean, like, it wasn't, there wasn't dark. It wasn't like, you know, smoke and mirrors. I'm like, and in retrospect, I'm like, how did he disappear to where I'm suddenly like, oh, you're just not here anymore? Yeah, uh, literally, uh, that's what happened. He just jumped into the vapors and he was gone. Next thing I know, we're all cleaning, you know, crews cleaning up everything, putting in the truck. You know, we're all about to go to the bus and leave. And I get this phone call. Not not on my phone. He calls, like, his assistant. Assistant comes up to me. He's like, yo, somebody wants to talk to you. I was like, okay. And he was like, hey, Brittany. And I was like, oh, hey. He's like, did you have fun? I was like, yeah, I had so much fun. Thank you so much. He's like, well, you're not going to know when you hear from me next, but I'm going to email you. And we're going to see each other again. And I was like, okay. And then I hung up. I felt like a little girl, just like so excited. Like I was going to get a pony or something. I check, <laughs> I check my email every day. I check the spam, the junk, uh, the trash folder. I checked all my email addresses he didn't have for email every day for like two years until he like passed away. Oh. I was waiting on Prince, man. Oh. Yeah. Well, where, where, where were you when you heard that uh, he was gone? Uh, I was I was in my bed in Nashville, and I woke up, and you know how people are about Instagram. When someone passes away, you just start seeing all the images, yeah. and I was like, no. And I literally cried for like probably two hours. I didn't even get out of bed. I couldn't believe it. I never thought I would be affected like that by uh, a musician's passing, but I really was. Mm. Um. So this album, I'm curious— Sonically speaking, what are you able to do on a Britney Howard solo record that you were not able or willing to do in an Alabama Shakes context? Yeah, I think with the Alabama Shakes, I was like very much more respectful about everybody's time, their opinions. Uh, to me, it was like very democratic. Everybody's a real group. A real group. Everybody's opinion mattered. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't stepping on her toes. I was like a lot more careful and probably a little more reserved than I should have been. But with this, I spend all day on a sound because ain't nothing but my time to waste, you know what I mean? So I could get a lot deeper when it came to sounds, came to mixes, came to ideas or experimentations, or I just do whatever I want. Yeah. So you could just... Just explore. Yeah. Because you're not like, oh, I'm wasting this guy's time and spending six hours working on this bass sound. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or just even chasing a rabbit into a hole and a, you'll never get the rabbit out. Like a song that there's there's a couple songs that just never saw the light of day. But mm-hmm. we spent like three days on them. I mean, with the shakes, was it musically pretty much everything that Britney wanted or was it like... No, he gets to make a decision, he gets to make a decision, Britney gets to make this choice, and so it's a group, you know what I mean? Like, cause some, usually the lead singer is the leader, and this is the sound she wants, this is the tempo she wants, so this is where we're going. Um, I would say it's a lot of that, but also I really, you know, with the guys in the shakes, they all got great opinions. Yeah. I definitely was not above their opinions. I actually respected them, and I was like, oh, that's a great idea, actually. So it was kind of like that. It was like, yeah, I would show up with a full session, like a song like Sound and Color off of Sound and Color. That thing was already done when I showed up. Mm-hmm. There was nobody commented on making any changes on that. But then a song like Don't Want to Fight No More, 
that was everybody together. Or give me all your love. That was everybody together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So everything was. What about Hold On? Hold On. That was a song that came out of just like uh, jamming. It just happened. Like we were, we were, we had the riff and I had never had lyrics, but we got on stage one night. And we're like, oh, just pull that riff out and I'll just make up some words. That's how mm. Hold On happened. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I have I, I have a couple of friends who are recording artists and some of them, women, have talked about uh, being in their own sessions on their own deal, their own dime. Mm. And men, other players, producers, what have you, are basically mansplaining to them like, you can't do this, you shouldn't do that. And they're like, you know, this is my session, right? You know, I'm the one with the record deal here. Interesting. Have you... Experience that not not with the shakes because those are your brothers. But when you're making the solo album, are people speaking to you or treating you in a in a in the wrong way? Not in the slightest. Not even in the slightest. Nope. I think everybody who worked on my record was really happy to be there, really excited to hear what I had to say, and they're just like, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it." Yeah. Yeah. There was not even a, a motochrome of someone being disrespectful to me. Are you alone most of the time when you're making the music? When I make the music, yeah, yeah, I'm alone. Yeah, I prefer to be alone, yeah. Because then I can just think more freely. Like, I don't have to worry about what someone else is thinking or their energy or, you know, what they're going to say about what I'm doing or feel about what I'm doing. Love to be alone. And you can make mistakes and... Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, literally talk myself through it. Be like, oh, that didn't work. Let's try this. Let's try third harmony. Oh, that sounds stupid. Yeah, you said you wanted this album to be healing. Has it been? Was it as healing as you had hoped that it would be? Interestingly enough, everything I talk about on the record is already healed over. There's no open wounds when when I yeah, there's no open wounds when I was making this. I think when when I say healing, I'm hoping it can help others just guide themselves to being more aware about themselves. Just check on yourself. You know what I'm saying? Where have you been that's gotten you to where you are today? And check it out. And who are you? Take time. I'm hoping that can inspire other people to just do a little bit of their own digging, own research to take care of themselves, love themselves. Because money and even career success is not going to give you the love that you need to give to yourself, no matter what. That work that you're talking about is hard to Mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. And... Something that I personally uh, avoided until like uh, this year and started to think more about interrogating myself and dealing with my feelings and like taking my feelings seriously. And it's been an, and it's been an amazing journey. Right, of course. Um, um, most people, I think, and I fully understand it, would rather just sort of zoom down the highway of life of like work, kids, you know, drink, smoke, whatever to get through the end of the day. Yeah. And not interrogate that stuff. Yeah. It's hard. It is hard. And also, like, honestly, where I come from, nobody taught you how to do it. Mm. You don't know how to do it. Um, Which is the same in the big city. Nobody's talking about that in the big city either. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, my parents, they don't touch the stuff that traumatized them when right. they were younger. Right. They're like, why would I do that? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But as for like my generation, I was just like, I find it uh interesting to want to break my bad habits that keep making me feel shitty. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. 
why wouldn't I want to do that, look into that? And it wasn't until I was much, much older, much, much, um, I mean, maybe a couple years ago, started breaking into all that and just trying to figure out how to be like a healthier, happier, more empowered version of my own self. Mm. Yeah. And that journey never ends. No, 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 no. It's not going to end. But I got some tools to get through some rough patches. That's really what it is. Not everything has to break me down, you know. You are, to my ear, a great singer and just really powerful. To you, what's the difference between a good singer and a great singer? Uh, Let's see. To me, a good singer is someone who can hit all the notes technically correct, sounds good to the ears, but a great singer stays with you and lingers with you. You linger on the syllable. You don't know where they're going to go next. They feel it. You feel it. They give you something that you didn't have previously. It's like a whole different operation, really. There's a whole different operation. They're carrying you something that's more than just notes. They're carrying you, they're giving you something with their voice, something uh, that was missing. And then, you know, good singers that just be singing good. How do you make them feel it? Oh, I think you just got to mean it. I really do think when you're singing, you got to mean it. It cannot be an exercise. It has to be real deal. And you got to bring that from a place in yourself that you can't um, can't really be taught. Just it just is. You got it or you don't. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think about. I've had that journey you're talking about as a fan with Mariah Carey, mm-hmm. one of the great singers in the industry in the world. But when she was relatively younger and doing the technical highs and the runs, it did not, it, it did not land on me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. with like the emancipation of Mimi, she starts working with Jermaine Dupri and she starts singing differently. And it's more almost down to earth. Yeah. And I st- I'm like, this I feel. You can connect to that. This Mariah Carey I love. Right. And yeah. I'm proud to love this. And that's when she makes that leap from what you're calling good to great in right. terms of the technical to like maybe more bluesy, more real, more authentic and honest. And not that she wasn't being authentic and honest before because she's a vocal athlete, mm-hmm. but to be just real. Yeah. And then, you know, and you got people like um, Nina Simone. Oof. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Like some people would listen, some people <laughs> would listen to her voice and say, that's not that impressive. Right, right. But what I hear, she's giving you all that feeling. She's giving you all the feels. What do you hear? She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She's in her own ether. She's on her own planet. Mm-hmm. She doesn't care what anybody thinks about what she's doing. She's giving it. She's serving it. The first time I put on Nina Simone on, by myself, mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. I was 24 and I listened to about 30 seconds of the song and it was too much. It was too melancholy. It was too powerful. It was too emotional. I'm like, I, I can't, it was too vulnerable. I uh-huh. can't go there. I'm not uh-huh. able to deal with that emotion at this point. Right. And I came back to it later and was like, Okay, now I'm old enough to deal with this, and I love her. I think she's the greatest singer ever because of what you're talking about, how she makes you feel. It's how I'm, yep. 
I and and I relate to her. That's why she's one of my favorite singers. I relate to her so much. All of her highs and lows, the peaks and the valleys. It's like she's giving you that in these songs, and these songs mean something to her. Especially the older she got, the more her choices definitely reflected what she was going through in her own life. And it's something we can all connect to if everybody's just being honest. It's like, yo, we got so much in common just being humans, you know. Who are some of the other singers? who really mean a lot to you? Uh, like, coming up, I actually really love Freddie Mercury. Yeah. I, um, I learned a lot about singing from Freddie just because his pitch was so perfect and so on. And I also learned that he could do all these vocal gymnastics in one take, just right. do a huge layer. I really loved him. I really love, um, you know, Nina, Roberta Flack. Yes. You know, I'd say all of those iconic singers that just were being honest. People who were being honest with, with what they were doing. Yeah. Always my favorite musicians and always my favorite singers. Um, yeah. Um, you know, you have made it from the trailer park, you said, of Alabama to this national figure beloved by millions, uh, you know, a revered artist. Uh, you know, I kind of want to say, how have you done it? I kind of want to say, what is your superpower that has helped you get from there to here? Um, let's see. I think maybe with me, it really didn't matter what anybody ever said to me or, or how anybody tried to make me feel. I think I was, on a, I was a woman on a mission. I still am. Uh, you can't digest negative stuff people want to tell you no you can't or you got to be like this or you're not doing it this way you're not going to make it it's not really about that uh in my sphere so I stay true to myself within myself surround myself people who want to help push me up and stay away from the things that are going to make me feel down and low Mm. which is stuff we probably learned you know like just growing up but I think just for young people who aren't certain that might be listening to this, it's like you definitely got to look at what you're digesting into your own self, your own reality, because it's going to turn into that. Yeah. Yeah. So going forward, more solo albums or go back to the band? What do you see? I don't know. Like, you know, this record just dropped a couple of days ago, and I'm going to see what happens. And the thing that's important to me that I have learned through this whole experience so far is to follow my creativity and just leave things open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Brittany for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torrey Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. And this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torrey and on Instagram at Torrey Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. And tell your friends about the show. Torrey Show is written by me, Torrey, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back next Wednesday with another amazing guest. Because the man can't shut us down.
We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. 